It's that time of day. It's 11.30, which means it's midday here on KRVN, and everybody's here. Of course, Jason Jorgensen and Bob Brogan will hear from them in just a few moments. But how about let's hear from Clay Patton first as he gets us a preview of what to expect here on Midday. Thank you, Tyler. And on today's Midday from the Farm Team, it's a Midday of Alex Wojcicki. She kicks things off at 12.19 with the Engler journey today, learning about Professor Dave Lamb and his role in the Engler program. Then we see Alex again back at the 12.45, the big newsmaker. Travis Mullenix is conducting research that uses Fitbit-like technology to look at the relationship between cattle behavior and milk production. So who knows, does a faster-moving cow and more steps in a day, does that mean more milk? We'll have to wait for more. 12.45, Alex, with that one. And then we will see Alex back at the 117 as she goes and talks with Christy Block, Nebraska Grain and Feed Association Executive Vice President, sharing information about the new Elevate program. So a big thank you to Alex today. She's bringing us a ton of interesting information on the midday. Thank you very much, Clay. We'll hear from him in just a few moments as he'll give us a market update here at about 11.34. Uh, speaking of Fitbits, Bob and Jason, have you guys ever had Fitbits? Right here. You have yours on. Okay. What about you, Bob? Are you a Fitbit guy? No, Fitbit. Okay. All right. Do you know what we're talking but about? But I do. Yes, I know what it is. I do not have one. I, I thought it would take too long to go into it, but I do have a pedometer. Oh, okay. Well, all right. It's not the same thing, basically, Bob. Then why don't you get a pedometer? Because the Fitbit gives you more options, and that's more technology than you could handle it's, or need. It's more things to ignore. Well, it could also link up to your uh, your cell phone as well. You know, there's only so much information that a person can absorb each day. Well, this is going off the tracks uh, very quickly. You know what? If he does get a Fitbit and he needs it to hook up to his cell phone, I nominate you to help him get it hey, started. You have to yeah. make payments on those things, too. Not on the Fitbit. Yeah, no, the, yes, you do. Those things. I don't those know what you're looking are, at. Then. Yeah. Those things are expensive. You're well, looking for the Cadillac model. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no kidding. Good grief. All right. Well, we'll look at maybe getting one for Christmas, and uh, we'll we'll get you one for next year. Uh, what about what do we have for sports? Well, everyone's excited. Uh, finally, there's going to be a season. Uh, at least they're going to try to play one. Uh, now it's the race to get ready on October 24th. Now, this isn't ideal, but it's the best that they could come, come up with. No fans for the Huskers, but we'll get the thoughts mm-hmm. of uh, Athletic Director Bill Moose. that said some really good stuff last night, some poignant stuff. He also was on Sports Nightly for a while last night, so he, he has to be a happy guy. Of course he is. Uh, President Carter mentioned in the hot mic thing that he's a little relieved. Obviously, still a lot to go through, but, you know, again, no fans. We talked about it. The last couple of days that we've said this again, but at least you get something. At least you get some football. And again, it should know a schedule by maybe tomorrow. You'd Saturday. Think so. They need to get that you know put out so people know who they're playing. By the uh, way, this will be the third schedule Husker football <laughs> scheduled this yeah. year. <laughs> a lot of work for not. Yes, correct. All right, very good. Uh, U.S. Open is actually happening right now as well. I don't know if you've seen the rough. It is. Awful. Brutal. Only two guys in the history of them holding opens at Wingfoot have ever finished under par, and you can see why. Yeah, it, this this is nasty stuff. You don't want to go uh, into the rough for sure. Bob, how about you? What's uh, the, the stocks doing at least early on today? Stocks falling a day after the Federal Reserve said it will keep interest rates at nearly zero for years to uh, help nurse the economy. And uh, so we're watching that situation with uh, stocks down and the number of Americans applying for unemployment benefits fell last week to 860,000 
a historically high figure that reflects economic damage from the... Friday in the Fields is back with the farm team here on the Rural Radio Network, brought to you by First National Bank. We'll tag along near Henderson, Nebraska this year with Matthew Hebner. He's a producer that grows corn and soybeans in the area, and he's been experimenting with relay cropping. Hi, this is Susan Littlefield. I'm going to be going just up the road and around the corner to my neighbors, Tom and Devin Vidichka, just outside of Surprise, as we talk to this father-son duo about corn, beans, and seed corn. Hey there, Clay Patton, and I'm heading west to the UNL Research Station at North Platte. There we'll be following the actual and virtual fields of the 2020 TAP program. So be sure to tune in every Friday during the midday for Fridays in the Field, brought to you by First National Bank. If you miss it on air, don't worry. You can catch it as a podcast as well through our website at ruralradio.com and also the video link as well to see what our farmers are up to. It's Fridays in the Field on the Rural Radio Network. In northern Kansas, at least according to the satellite photo, but we just have that very thick haze, and I think it's probably the thickest today it has been over the last several days. And maybe the earliest that we have seen it as well from pretty much the get-go this morning. Yes, uh, right away we had, of course, that thick haze, and you're thinking, okay, when's sunrise coming? Is it <laughs> is it that late? Or is it, uh, you know, of course, we always have our shortening of the right. days at the mm-hmm. both ends of the day, and you're thinking, okay, oh, it's just late and coming. No, the sun was actually coming up. It was just overly hazy this morning. At times, it almost looks a little foggy. That's uh-huh. kind of sometimes how you could compare it, but uh, definitely haze. Now, I haven't been able to smell anything, which I suppose is a good thing. Yesterday, I didn't really smell it either, which, again, I'm sure is a good thing. In western areas, they were seeing some of that uh, smell effect because of the smoke, and that could be a factor for today. But right now, we do have temperatures, for the most part, still into the low to mid-60s. A few locations still in the upper 50s, like Ord, with a temperature currently sitting at 59. They had an overnight low, got down to 39. A lot of us getting into the low and mid-40s last night. We do have some mid and upper 60s for much of central and east Kansas, and we do have some upper 60s to around 70 over much of northeast Colorado. But once again, most of us in the low to mid-60s, the combination of cooler air behind that front from yesterday and filtered sunshine from the western wildfire smoke will keep our temperatures today seasonal to slightly cooler than normal. On the backside of some high-pressure sliding to the east, winds will be from the south, and those south winds could force some of that smoky air to the ground. Smoky air is again possible at the surface in western and some central areas for today through tonight. A change in the forecast does include a slower warming trend. Our forecast model is now trending the temperatures several degrees cooler for tomorrow, especially across the central and east where daytime highs are expected to stay in the 70s. But all in all, very nice weather if we could just get rid of this smoky haze. The main warming trend taking hold over the weekend when a ridge of high pressure starts to move over the plains. The warmer weekend will be accompanied by breezy south winds for Saturday and Sunday with wind gusts up over 30. There is a slight chance of some thunderstorms by Sunday night with the passing of a cold front. Hopefully those south winds can maybe stir up some gulf moisture and get some rain into our area. The early half of next week will be dry and slightly warmer than usual with highs in the 80s and overnight lows in the 50s. In the long-term forecast, warmer than normal temperatures remain likely for Tuesday through the end of the month for Nebraska, Kansas, and the western two-thirds of the U.S. Hard to believe we had those cool conditions last week, and we're going to end up on the last half of September warmer than normal. In another positive for harvest progress, below normal rainfall will continue in Nebraska, Kansas, and the rest of the central and eastern U.S. 
Tuesday through the last day of the month. In the regional drought monitor released today, Nebraska improved three percentage points to 22% drought-free. Most of Nebraska abnormally dry to a moderate drought. There is severe drought in Adams, Kearney, and Hitchcock counties from Ogallala into the Panhandle and from Omaha into much of northeast Nebraska. The driest conditions with stage three extreme drought is found around West Point and Cumming County. And in an almost reverse situation, Kansas improved eight percentage points to 70% drought-free. Compared to, once again, 22% drought-free in Nebraska. Abnormally dry conditions to a moderate drought found along the Kansas-Nebraska border from Smith Center to the northwest corner. The western two to three rows of counties in the western part of Kansas, much of southeast Kansas, once again in abnormally dry to a moderate drought. Severe to extreme drought is found in Rollins County, also along the Kansas-Colorado border from Wallace County to the southwest corner. Weather factors impacting the markets include additional dry weather for Midwest harvest and rain chances in central Brazil. For the rest of today and into tomorrow, the remnants of Sally will cross Georgia and the Carolinas, delivering as much as 4 to 8 inches of additional rain. Parts of the southeast U.S. had from 10 to 30 inches of rain the past 24 hours, with flooding and crop damage. Frost and freezes may be a concern this weekend and early next week from the Great Lakes region into the northeast. In the Midwest, the ongoing dry weather with seasonal to above normal temperatures the next seven days will favor crop ripening and progress for harvest. Central Brazil expects widespread rain over the next seven days, including Mato Grosso. This is being watched as an increase in the rain suggests the beginning of the Central Brazil raining season. Very interesting how the differences of the drought in Kansas yeah. and Nebraska. But I feel like every time we look at the weather the last several weeks, there's a lot of rain, especially south of I-70 in Kansas. Yep. And, and, you know, last year it was reverse situation. Nebraska was in pretty good mm-hmm. situation. But uh, Kansas, extremely dry last year, I guess it just kind of evens out in the end. <laughs> I suppose. Well, hopefully we get some precipitation in the near future. Uh, Paul, for more weather, where can you find that at? WeatherTap, krvn.com. Thank you very much. Are you considering switching your soybeans to Enlist E3? This is a choice many Nebraska farmers are contemplating this year. But you might be asking, how does the technology work? Will they yield on my farm? At Golden Harvest, they have thousands of Enlist E3 acres already in production to answer those questions and more. When you're ready to make the switch, Golden Harvest will have the right Enlist E3 variety for your acres. Contact Stutterheim Crop Advisory of Eustis to learn more. The Angler Entrepreneurship Journey. Celebrating success, embracing failure, and inspiring the entrepreneur inside of you. For my job, to watch students go from point A to point B and to watch that growth. Best job on campus. Thanks so much for joining. On today's Angler Journey, we're going to travel with one of the professors in the program, Dave Lamb. Dave is the Angler Chief Learning Officer, but he started teaching entrepreneurship before Angler got started. There was um, a call from our faculty in the Department of Agronomy and Horticulture who wanted someone to teach entrepreneurship. So I went back to school and got uh, a master's degree, an MBA, and also started a business at the same time that I finished my MBA so that I could teach entrepreneurship. And I started the business from scratch on purpose because I didn't want to get up in front of a group of students and say, this is how you start a business. And I've never done it. 
And because of that experience, he now teaches a variety of courses in the angler program. I've got um, a couple courses that I teach, 388, what's called 388, which is sort of a customer discovery course, and then 488, which is a business plan writing course. Um, but in addition to that, we do this um, modules. I've been kind of experimenting with different modules to see which ones work. My most current one is called CEO School. So it's an opportunity to learn what it's like to be the head of a company. And then we're going to do a lot of like have bring CEOs in. But what I really want to do is figure out like who do CEOs need to know. So I want students oh. to know who they need to know. Dave says that one of the unique aspects of the Angler program is that the staff learns alongside the students. It is my joy to work with students. I think we all feel the same way. All the staff feels the same way. The, the students are the centerpiece of what we do. I mean, like, we all don't know all the answers. Like, we just are working together to try to figure out what are the next things that we need to know and what are the things that we do. We make tons of mistakes as staff. We know that, but we want to just test things out and try them also. You know, we're just, we're just all humans working together. Throughout Dave's time as a professor, he's realized that even though he has an impact on the students, they've helped him become a better coach. I really believe listening is the key to great coaching. It's the way that you process information that somebody's giving you and then try to figure out like how can I help this person the best with what they're just saying to me right now and so instead of like me going off and doing my own thing and and saying you need to have this and you need to have this and you know, it's more like well, what's the next step like what do you see as the next step and as an entrepreneurship coach Dave helps his students become their own version of an entrepreneur if you think about the uh, definition of it is it's like looking for opportunities or solving problems in whatever situation you're in. So that's what it really boils down to is can you figure out how to solve a problem and how do you do that? What are the steps mm -hmm. that you take to do that? And once you get that down, like the process down of what, how that works, it works for other things. It's like it doesn't matter what you're working on. It will help you solve problems. You can learn more about Dave Lamb and the Angler Agribusiness Entrepreneurship Program at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln by visiting angler.unl.edu. Thanks so much for joining. Until next time, I'm Alex Wojcicki on the Rural Radio Network. It's fall, which means that we're about to fall in line and deliver lunch to hungry grain truck drivers in central Nebraska. Keep an eye out for us. We'll be driving a Pony Express Chevrolet pickup with the best barbecue and beef around from Skeeter Barnes and an ice-cold bottle of water. Get ready for a full belly and to fall in line with KRVN, The River, Cami, and... Landmark Implement, your John Deere dealer in central Nebraska and northwest Kansas. Door and Post and Associates in Lexington and O'Hanlon Seed, your channel seedsman in Lexington. It's time for Midday Sports. Here's Jason. Hey, thanks, Tyler. Well, now that the Big Ten is rescheduled kickoff weekend, coaches and players can start the sprint toward opening day. After postponing the season in early August, the league's 14 university presidents and chancellors finally have given teams five weeks to accomplish what normally takes months. 
teams must be ready to kick off by the weekend of October 24th. Nebraska Athletic Director Bill Moose says after a long discussion, this was the right decision. Players want to play, our coaches want to coach, and our fans want to watch. And uh, we're going to be able to do all these things now, and, and that's why it is a celebration. Uh, and I believe, uh, and, and very strongly, that the state of Nebraska, Nebraska needs football. Of note, the group of Nebraska players and parents who are threatening legal action against the Big Ten, they've dropped that suit with the return of play announcement. Sad news here. Longtime Nebraska high school football coach Larry Frost, a father of Scott, passed away late last night. Frost played for the Huskers in the late 60s, starting at wingback for a couple of years. He's in the Nebraska High School Sports Hall of Fame for his athletic career at Malcolm High School. Frost then went on to have a long high school coaching career that included stops at numerous places, including McCook. And, of course, he was a coach at Wood River in the early to mid-90s. Ohio's two NFL teams celebrate the league's 100th birthday with a Thursday night game as the Bengals and the rookie quarterback Joe Burrows visit Cleveland. Both teams are coming off losses in Week 1. Burrow had some moments in his debut, and the number 1 overall pick is excited about playing in a rivalry that he watched as a kid. The Browns played poorly, and they were routed by Baltimore to game we had for you Sunday afternoon here on 880 KRVN. Justin Thomas leads the U.S. Open at minus four through 13 holes. He's playing with Tiger Woods, who was at even par after a bogey on 13, stalled his move up the leaderboard. The final groups of the morning round have all made the turn with the second half of the field teeing off of this time. Now, Wingfoot is reputed to be one of the toughest of all U.S. Open tests. Only two players have ever finished under par at that course in five previous Opens. Don't forget, tonight we have high school softball for you on Cami Country as Gothenburg will host Holdridge. That one starts at 6.30. Also, six-man football on our sister station, KUVR, with Wilcox Hildreth visiting Wallace. That one will kick off at 5. That's sports. For more, find it anytime at krvn.com. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Twelve twenty nine here at KRVN, which means it is now time for news. And news director Dave Schroeder has stepped in. And well, Dave, how are you been doing? Oh, doing good, thank you. You bet. Uh, a little haze out there, yeah. but uh, and some funky sunsets the last couple of days and sunrises too. Well, see. and some of those pictures have been uh, very interesting as well from the, from both the morning and the evening. Can you smell any smoke out there? No, no. And I, maybe it's just me too. But uh... what's well, a good thing? I don't think anybody's complaining. <laughs> I don't think you want to smell the smoke. Otherwise, that might be. Uh, <laughs> We've got different issues to worry about, I suppose. <laughs> absolutely, so. absolutely. Well, it seems like the national scene is coming home to roost in Nebraska a little bit. A grand jury in Omaha this week indicted bar owner and former Marine Jake Gardner on manslaughter and other felony charges after a special prosecutor claimed new evidence in the case that includes Gardner's state of mind during the shooting death of James Skurlock this past May in downtown Omaha. The jury's decision comes months after Douglas County attorney Doug Klein declined to charge. He thought he was in, in danger of losing his life for some serious bodily injury, and so he fired that shot in self-defense. Special Prosecutor Frederick Franklin said that the grand jury reviewed additional evidence, including Gardner's text messages, Facebook profile, and reports of his interactions with other people before the shooting, and decided that evidence undermines the self-defense theory. 
Meanwhile, students in Omaha are going back into the classroom next week. That's for the first time since last March. They announced in an email this week that some schools will open to in-person classes starting Wednesday. In-person classes will begin for elementary special education, hearing impaired, and alternative curriculum students on Wednesday. Elementary, middle, and high school will begin part-time and staggered in-person classes in October. Remote learning will continue to be an option for families who do not feel comfortable sending students back to physical schools. Well, numerous large wildfires in the western United States may be affecting air quality, as we talked about in Nebraska for the rest of the week. For Western Nebraska, an advisory for possible moderate to unhealthy for sensitive groups may occur through tomorrow, and conditions are expected to move back to the green category, meaning no impacts by Saturday. Meanwhile, central and eastern Nebraska has a moderate impact advisory and expected to go to green category later today. In Kansas, Kansas officials are considering spending $50 million to dramatically ramp up testing of people who aren't showing obvious signs of the coronavirus. A Kansas task force this week backed Kansas Health Secretary Lee Norman's recommendation to use the federal stimulus money on testing at schools, workplaces, and other sites. The goal is to catch coronavirus in people who haven't even realized that they're carrying it. Some of the testing would be done at Wichita State University, where a new not-for-profit lab is gearing up to churn out hundreds of thousands of tests by the end of the year. And that's a check of the latest in news. I'm Dave Schroeder. Thank you very much, Dave. Looking at the relationship between cattle behavior and milk production using a Fitbit-like technology. I'm Alex Wojcicki on the Rural Radio Network, and today we're joined by Travis Molinix. He is a range beef nutrition extension specialist based out of the West Central Research and Extension Center in North Platte. Travis, thanks for joining us today. Tell us some more about this research that you've been working on. Yeah, so uh, it really this project really goes back to some um, anecdotal data that I that I've had for years of of the behavioral component that can drive some of the responses that we're seeing. Um, one thing I'm, I'm big on looking at the impact that milk production has on performance. And um, years ago, I was involved with a project that found that calves spent very little of their time with their actual mothers. And so if we're selecting for something like increased milk production that's going to drive up our costs, are we actually going to get that response out of that milk or is the high variation response in increasing milk production due to some of the behavioral components of grazing and actually uh, a, a suckling? So some calves may be eating more forage versus actually suckling. And, and so that's really the basis behind this idea of using these technologies like this Fitbit idea that can give us some behavioral components of grazing and, and suckling of these calves that, that may have a difference in their performance. So you mentioned that this is kind of a work in progress. You guys have been working on it for a little while, and it's really become complex. Tell me about some of the things that uh, you've done so far and that you've learned. Uh, yeah, so uh, one thing in our herd there at Goodmanson, we have a spring calving or a March calving herd and a May calving herd. And so, so far what we've done is 30 cows per herd have, have been collared and their calves have been collared as well. So 
so so both of those have uh, GPS collars on them. Um, and we've done that earlier on in the um, grazing period or lactation period, and we'll put those collars back on the same set here in the later part, right before we wean, to see if there's a difference in behavior from early lactation to late lactation. And so some of the earlier data, and this is very prelim data, shows that that calf doesn't spend a lot of time with that cow. And so that calf will lay up uh, most of the day, and that cow's out grazing. And so it only spent about uh, cycling about five to eight times per day with that cow. And, and so that could be driving some of these response differences, and, and maybe it's the appetite driver of why some calves respond differently than others. So we have a lot of cattle producers who are listeners out there, and I'm curious, what are some things that they can keep in mind uh, with this research that you guys are conducting? You know, one thing producers are, are constantly looking at is how can we increase production? And so uh, I get a calls a lot about should I increase the milk in my herd to increase that output? And so that's really what we're getting after is the responses around milk production and and looking at technologies that can help us answer those questions of what's going on when we increase or decrease milk production. Um, and so and really, what milk production should we be at in this environmental conditions? What's the optimum output that we should be focusing on? We're visiting with Travis Mullenix. He's a range beef nutrition extension specialist based out of the West Central Research and Extension Center in North Platte. Travis, let's expand on that a little bit. What are some practical ways, I guess, that cattle producers can boost that milk production in their cows? Well, milk production is driven off a couple things. One's genetics. And so using their EPD, they can increase their milk production. And so there is positives and there's negatives to doing that. Some of the negatives could be actually lack of uh, output response to that calf, and you can also have a negative response to reproduction because you're driving more nutrients away from the cow to to get pregnant, going to actually lactation. Um, and so EPD is is what's going to drive that through their genetics of selecting cows with higher or lower milk EPD, um, and then nutrients plays a role in. in and increasing, decreasing milk production. If we have a dry year like this year out here, and there's limited nutrients, milk production is going to be lower in general than a, a year that we have abundance of higher quality forages. Travis, I want to switch gears a little bit. Uh, I know a lot of people are weaning right now. I I don't know if you had a chance to look at the calves, what they look like this year in your area or anything like that. Yeah, our cows look good, um, and so we haven't weaned yet for our herd um, or herds, um, and, and so I'd expect they're going to be a little bit lower in weaning weights than average. Our forage quality was lower uh, earlier on, and so uh, so we won't get as much late uh, season growth out of those calves. So I expect weaning weights to be a little bit lighter in general unless a producer came in or they had a higher quality forage or they came in and crept fed those calves to offset that forage quality differences. All right, great information. Thanks so much. Again, we've been joined by Travis Mullenix. He is a range beef nutrition extension specialist based at the West Central Research and Extension Center in North Platte. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.
With the Business Report, I'm Bob Brogan. Stocks are falling again on Wall Street. A day after the Federal Reserve said it will keep interest rates at nearly zero for years to help nurse the wheezing economy. The S&P 500 was 1% lower in morning trading after trimming an earlier loss that reached 1.6%. The selling was widespread with all 11 sectors that make up the S&P 500 lower and the heaviest losses in those that are homes to Amazon, Facebook, and Apple. Low interest rates are usually a boon for investors, sending stocks soaring and analysts gave varying possible reasons for the market's weakness. The number of Americans applying for unemployment benefits fell last week to 860,000, a historically high figure that reflects economic damage from the coronavirus outbreak. Before the pandemic hit the economy, the number signing up for jobless aid had never exceeded 700,000 in a week, even in the depths of the 2007 through 2009 Great Recession. U.S. housing construction fell 5.1% in August after three months of strong gains as home builders mounted a rebound following a pandemic-induced shutdown in March and April. The Commerce Department says new homes were started at a seasonally adjusted annual pace of 1.42 million last month after a 17.9% surge in July. Ford says it will add 300 jobs at a new factory that's being built to assemble batteries and manufacture an electric version of the F-150 pickup. The new plant is being built in Dearborn, Michigan, where Ford is starting to produce a new version of the F-150 that's due in showrooms this November. Ford says the new electric truck will go on sale in mid-2022. For the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bob Brogan. The Rural Radio Network, and today we're joined by Christy Block. She is the Executive Vice President of the Nebraska Grain and Feed Association to talk about the Elevate program. Christy, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me, Alex. So, Christy, today we're going to talk about uh, this program that you guys have. It's called Elevate. Tell us a little bit about this program and what it's all about. Absolutely. Elevate came about about two years ago with an intern of ours who now works for Cargill full-time. And what we found in the agribusiness community is there's a number of retirees from those upper management positions and kind of a gap there in management and years of experience. So we put this Elevate program together to give anyone entering the agribusiness field or that works with agribusiness and serves on their board of directors the opportunity to get some basic skills and management information come together and then they also have an opportunity to tour all the different aspects of kind of that agribusiness industry realm such as grain elevators, a feed manufacturer, an ethanol plant, and they'll have the opportunity to meet with the different departments that are regulatory agencies for the agribusiness community and get to know what's coming down the line from a regulatory standpoint and how that affects the agribusinesses in their communities and on the production side as well. For those who are listening and thinking about participating, what are some things that they're going to gain by taking part in this program? I think they'll gain one-on-one interaction with a lot of department heads of different regulatory agencies. They'll get the opportunity to ask really good questions, but they'll also, by going through in kind of smaller classes, get the opportunity to have that network that they can continue to build their leadership from 
and get questions answered amongst their group and hopefully have those other individuals to lean on from this experience. Uh, Christy, it looks like applications are due for this program October 31st. Uh, who qualifies for this program and, and how do they apply? The program is open to anyone that is a producer that works or plans to serve on a board um, for a local cooperative or anyone that works at a grain elevator, ethanol plant, or feed manufacturer in Nebraska. Um, it's $1,000 if they were selected, so there is a little bit of a program cost to it. And the applications are due to the Nebraska Grain and Feed Office by October 31st. Perfect. Uh, Christy, looking at the the calendar, if you will, of the Nebraska Grain and Feed Association, uh, what else should be on our radar of things that are coming up? We have an organic and non-GMO forum that the Nebraska Grain and Feed Association is promoting. And in March, the Ethanol Emerging Issues Forum. So anyone really interested in ethanol, the Nebraska Ethanol Board puts this on. And it's always a great opportunity to hear the latest. And that's March 24th, 25th, 2021. Awesome. Great information. Well, Christy, I tell you what, as those dates approach, we'll reach out and get some more information. But thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Alex. That again is Christy Block. She's the executive vice president of the Nebraska Grain and Feed Association. From the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkoff, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. Playpen on the World Radio Network. Let's talk to John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing and Chicago Publisher of the newsletter this week in grain. And John, another impressive day here in the grain markets as we continue to move higher. And as things now start to shift, we've got to think back. We haven't seen soybean prices like this since, what, 2018 and when the trade war was just starting to get underway with China? Yeah, if you go back on like a monthly chart and you, know, you can pull these big long-term charts uh, like April and May of 2018, you know, we we chopped around between 1080, oh, and about ten dollars while we were thinking about what the trade war was going to do. And all of a sudden, then when when that May hit, we went to day 50. So we basically in the last year and a half, two years, have been stuck sideways between 950 and 810, and now we sit here at 830 or 1030, right back to where we were. So. Um, you know, I'd like to think that we can go up. I mean, I, if you listen to this every day, you're going to be like, this guy's been saying the same thing for the last block, dollar, really. I've been telling guys to short beans since 1050. Um, you know, when's the top end? It's probably in when the guys that, that sell like me ring out. And, you know, speculators, you know, there's still cash out there, but oh, there's a lot of short selling pressure here to cover. And I think um, you start cracking here at 10, 1020, 1030. Uh, you can run really quickly at the 1080, which is the 2018 high. I, I still say you got to sell, but if you listen to my advice, you'd already be short. Now, as we look over at the wheat trade, it really kicked off this afternoon as well. Is this more a play on the dollar and the currencies than it is other fundamentals in the market? Well, GSC came to the market yesterday, and, and everything's just a little more expensive on the global markets now. So, per metric ton cost with shipping, 
the last few years they've been paying 210, 220 on an expensive move. I think they paid 250 yesterday. So they're paying more, and uh, the Egyptians are. And they're buying them from a little bit of a different place. Now, the U.S. hasn't gotten any business, and that would be the next shoe to drop if we could see the U.S. get some business, but which is too expensive right now relative to, to what they're offering. When I sit back and look at it, it's just a, it's a simple feed green rally. You know, I think really led by Milo. It's huge basis in Milo. I think they're two dollars, two fifty over at the port, combined with you know uh, a weak dollar story and some some stimulative demand here quarter over quarter. We've seen in some time. So all in all, it results in the rally we've seen where we go from eight fifty, you know, August twelfth, and now we're at ten thirty. So. There's a lot of things that can happen to take it back there. I don't think it'll happen instantly, but money flow can change. Everybody should look at lumber prices. Again, we're talking with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniel Zag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Learn more at danielzagmarketing.com. Thank you, Clay. That will take care of midday here on KRBN. If you missed anything or want to rehear any of the interviews or segments, you can listen to the Midday Podcast sponsored by Deveni Motors on iTunes or krbn.com.